welcome to the Brookside campus of Christ Community. I'll add my welcome to Aaron's. My name is Paul Brandis, and I do have the deep honor and privilege of serving uh, you, serving the Brookside campus as one of the associate pastors. And I'm so glad you're here this morning. Like Aaron said, it's a great and beautiful day outside, and I'm glad that you've chosen to begin it uh, today here with us. Um, Let's bow our heads and pray before we ask uh, and ask God for help before we open his word together. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, the beauty and joy of baptism displayed on the screen. We'll talk about that a little bit more here this morning and why that's important. Um, We're grateful for this time and to gather together as your people, uh, as a church in this place. Bless our study of your word. Help us to uh, listen well and receive what it is you would have for each one of us. Speak through me, Lord, and remove me from the equation, but allow you to increase as I decrease. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, one of the best parts of my son, Bevan, who just turned two, of him getting a little bit older, uh, is that he is sitting still just long enough now for us to read a few books together. And this has become one of my favorite parts of our bedtime routine together to ask him what he wants to read and and go over these books. And and listen, as much as I cherish that time with my son and as much as I love reading The Little Blue Truck over and over and over and over, I mean, seriously, right? Little Blue Truck went down the road, beep said blue to a big green toad. I could keep going. (laughs) And as much as I love that, I'm uh, excited about expanding our reading horizon a little bit as he gets even older. Now, I'm a huge nerd, so I cannot wait to walk through the wardrobe with Lucy and experience Narnia for the first time with Bevan. And one of my first favorite moments from the movie version of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is when Lucy is is backing into the wardrobe as they're playing hide-and-seek, and she's feeling the coats, she's feeling the coats, and then for the first time, she feels the, the snow-covered trees of Narnia discovering a new world. And ever since my wife Ashley convinced me a couple years ago to read a little series called Harry Potter, maybe you've heard of it, I've been chomping at the bit to burst through the wall and find myself on platform nine and three quarters. Platform nine and three quarters, discovering this new world with the Hogwarts Express to take Bevan, Harry, and I off to our first year of school. And maybe what this gets at is that I really enjoy books or series that open up and describe new worlds before unknown. And I don't think I'm an escapist, but wouldn't you love to discover a new world like Lucy or Harry did? A fantastic world that you never even knew existed, a world with more wonder and amazement, more beauty and more awe? I know I would. And I think this is must of how Jesus' disciples felt, like a serious trip down the rabbit hole. We all saw him, right? He was dead, right? And then he wasn't dead, right? And more than just seeing him, Jesus' followers walked with him after the grave, talked with him, ate with him. Hundreds of people testified that a man, once dead, now lives again. And, And don't miss the magnitude of that claim. It is literally what our faith is built upon. A man, once dead, into the grave, is dead no longer, but lives again. If death, 
the great and final enemy can be defeated. Well, that sounds like a brand new world to me, doesn't it? Friends, we don't have to escape this world because the new world is here. It's now. It's real. And Jesus invites us in. And I know that that sounds like a magical fantasy that it can't possibly be real. It must be impossible. Ridiculous. But if the grave really was empty, if the grave was empty, then Jesus invites us into a whole new world. Jesus invites you, invites me into a whole new world. His world, a fantastic world, better than Narnia, better than understanding that there's muggles and magicals. And Jesus shows us here with his final words in the book of Matthew what this new world should look like, what it does look like. So you can turn in your Bibles, the pew Bibles in the back or on your phone or in a Bible you brought to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. If you are using the pew Bibles, it's on page 835. And as you arrive at these final four or five verses in the book of Matthew, you'll notice that the next page is the book of Mark. These are the last verses in Matthew, which means that, yes, this is our final Sunday in Matthew, and it uh, only took us... 57 weeks, that's right, 5, 7, 57 weeks we've been journeying in Matthew together. We've been immersed in this world together. And now, in the final words, Jesus is laying out, again, what this world looks like. And three aspects of this world stand out to me in the passage. The first is this. Jesus' new world is a world of greater awe. Jesus' new world is a world of greater awe. In this passage, we see genuine amazement and awe from Jesus' disciples. Look with me at the beginning, verses 16 and 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And we'll pick up the last phrase of verse 17 in a moment, but let's drill down on this idea of worship. Now, when they saw him, they worshiped him. This is a fall on your hands and knees kind of worship. This is a take all that I have and all that I am kind of worship. This is worship that can only be born out of the deepest wonder and awe. Which is interesting because we're talking about Jesus' closest followers These men had lived with Jesus for years, following him, hearing his teachings, seeing his miracles. And yet, when it came down to it, the miracles of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus weren't enough. I mean, think about their response from just days earlier when Jesus had been arrested and tried and wrongfully killed. Their response, these same followers, their response was not one of worship, but of fear and trembling. They didn't bow down before Jesus. They got up and ran as far as they could in the opposite direction. So what's changed? What's new? Why the worship? Why the awe? Because it's a whole new world. A brand new world where they recognize fully for the first time who is standing before them. God himself. Because to do what Jesus did to go into the grave and then come back out, to die and then live again? Who are you if not God? 
And that's why the disciples wonder. That's why they awe. That's why they worship. You know, I happen to think that our old world is in desperate need of more wonder and more awe. Maybe you agree. You know, a few months ago in a sermon, I mentioned my wife's cousin Carly, who has Down syndrome, you might remember that. Since I first mentioned her to you, uh, Carly has become seriously famous. You may have even seen the story on local, or yes, national news. If not, here's a brief video to catch you up to speed. Oh my gosh. 15-year-old Carly Whitman. Oh my gosh. Knows she's in for a surprise. It's her older brother's best friend, Shaden Weedle. Oh my you got a problem with me? Yeah? Is that a yes? Yeah. This moment shared through photos on Twitter captured hearts. The tweet liked nearly a half million times. I was like, wow, this is really neat to see all this positivity coming out of it. Shaden's shirt says, I know I'm nacho typical Dorito, but in the back. I'm going to be cheesy and ask, will you go to prom with me? He also came with presents. Ever since I've known her, she has loved Doritos. And a rose. A rose. Oh, you brought your rose too? Yes. Shaden says this smile <laughs> is why he asked Carly to his senior prom. I didn't do it for the publicity. I just did it just to make her happy and stuff. As we watch the video, Carly relives the moment. Her reaction to the huge response online. The best. Yes, Carly has Down syndrome, and she's also your typical teen girl, who's now a very excited freshman going to the senior prom. They deserve everything that everyone else does too, so. I'm sure you're gonna be very beautiful. I know. Shaden and Carly's family say something they would like to get across, how she's touched their lives. She's brought nothing but joy to my life. Any, anyone who's ever around her just, they, she makes them laugh, and. She's always has a smile on her face, and she's just, she's amazing. I love you, Dylan. I love you, too. Didi Sun. Yeah. <laughs> Eyewitness News. That's my family. I've napped on that couch before. <laughs> it's been crazy to watch this story just absolutely take off. I heard about it before it was a story, right? Ashley's like, oh, Shaden asked Carly to prom, and my first response was, yeah, of course he did. I mean, right? Like, they are joined at the hip, best friends. Shaden's a part of the family. They're a part of my family. And as someone who knows them well, I can tell you it wasn't about publicity at all. The only reason anybody filmed it was so that she could watch it again and, and have that joy and have that wonder and have that excitement over and over. And, and yes, the whole story is cute. I mean, Doritos got involved and sent a helicopter to take them to prom. <laughs> yep. That happened. <laughs> okay. So the whole story is kind of crazy, but I think at the core of it, I think the reason that this garnered so much attention is because our world is desperate for wonder and awe and excitement like Carly has and how she lives her life. To be honest with you, I'll let you in on a secret, she was probably more excited about the Doritos. <laughs> I, I, this is how she goes about her life. It's affectious. And Christian or not, we desire that. We all need more wonder in our lives like Carly has, which is why Jesus' world is better, because his world is one of greater awe. 
a world where death doesn't mean the end, and where we're invited in to worship with awe at the feet of one who was dead, but now lives and walks and reigns again. And so let me ask you this morning, are you in awe of Jesus? I think this is a really important question because it's diagnostic. It gets to the heart of the matter. So, so look inside yourself this morning and answer, are you in awe of Jesus? And if you're not, if in your heart of hearts you know that you're not, then it might be a sign that you haven't fully entered Jesus' new world. And if you haven't answered, maybe, or if you haven't entered in, then maybe one of the reasons you haven't, maybe why you're not totally in awe of Jesus is because you have some doubts, some hesitations. And let me assure you, that's okay. Remember, this is even in our passage. Look again at verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Aren't you glad that Matthew includes this in his accounting of this story? Think about that. Some who saw the risen Jesus before he ascended back into heaven, some of them doubted. If that's true, then how much more so will you doubt? Will I doubt? Will we doubt? How much more will we have some hesitations? You know, this word for doubt used here is the same one in Matthew's story in Matthew 14 where, where Peter, he steps out of the boat onto the water to walk to Jesus. And, and he starts out well, but as the wind and the r- waves and the storm, as it rises up around him, he develops some doubts. He grows some hesitations, understandably. He starts to sink, and thankfully Jesus is there to, to hold him up and pull him out. It sounds a lot like, to me, the process of walking into Jesus' new world. Friends, we are not surprised by doubt here. Not here. It's a safe place to have questions and hesitations. But join us and let's wrestle together. Let's say, I don't know, let's figure it out together. Because yes, Jesus' world is one of awe, but with awe comes a myriad of questions. And that's okay. Jesus' world is one of greater awe, but it's also one of a better king. A better king. We know all about lousy kings and rulers, don't we? Lords and tyrants who rule with an iron fist, greedy, power-hungry, abusive, but not this king. No, King Jesus is different. He's, it's better. It's his new world, and in it, he's the better king. Verse 18 of our passage reads this way. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Jesus looks at his closest followers and says, All authority everywhere has been given to me. It's mine. Absolutely. And I know you might be thinking, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought that absolute power, which Jesus is claiming he has, I thought that absolute power corrupted absolutely. How is this a better king? But don't get nervous because we've seen throughout the whole of Matthew's gospel what kind of king Jesus really is. And Jesus is a king who cares for the poor and vulnerable. Jesus is a king who gives himself away recklessly. A king who says, referring to himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus is not a tyrant. He left his throne to seek and save the lost, to serve me, to serve you. He left the glory of heaven for the suffering of the cross, the only king, the only king who has ever willingly died for his enemies, that they might become not just his subjects, but his family. Jesus' new world is the world of a better king. So let me ask you this morning, have you surrendered to King Jesus? Because that's the next step. You come to him in awe, yes, marveling at who he is and what he has accomplished, but you can't stop there. All authority is mine, Jesus says. My dominion stretches from earth to heaven and back again. And that dominion includes me, includes you. Our response of worship and belief in Jesus has to include complete and total surrender. And and yes, I know that that's not easy. The call to surrender is uncomfortable in our times. We live in an age of individual control and personal preference. We don't like anyone telling us what to do. But that's not how it works in Jesus' world. It's not our way, it's his. If Jesus really did crush death, and I know that's a big if, but if he did, and if he offers, and he does, he offers to save you from the death that you deserve, then there's nothing that he can't ask of us. He has both the right to do so and the power. So let me ask you one more time. Have you surrendered to King Jesus? What are you holding on to? What are you trying to retain control of? And we know the answers, don't we, in our heart of hearts? Jesus' world is filled with greater awe, and in it, Jesus is the better king. But if we were to stop here this morning, then we could easily believe and wrongly believe that it's a world that's only reserved for God's favorites. We're better than the rest. Aren't we great? Sadly, so many Christians grow smug, and we divide up his new world, muggles and magicals, insiders and outsiders, us and them, but not in this world. Yes, Jesus invites us to enter a new world, but he also invites us to invite others. He invites us to invite others, because Jesus' new world is a world of open invitations, radically open That's the third aspect of the new world that we see in this passage. God wants a big and massive family made up of anyone and everyone. We see this in verses 19 and 20 of our passage. And these verses are often referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus, as king, like any great king, he sends out his emissaries. He sends out his messengers. That's us. And this is our commissioning. This is our sending. Verse 19, Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, there's a lot going on in these verses. They're probably some of the most preached upon and written upon verses in all of the Bible. But I think sometimes we miss the main idea because there's actually only one command in these verses. And the one command in these verses is this, make disciples. 
make disciples. That's the bottom line takeaway. That's our job description as Christians. Make disciples. And don't miss the tagline, make disciples immediately after of all nations. Every people group, every color of skin, every language, every kind of human. Make disciples. King Jesus is for all people. For all people. And nowhere does he make that clearer than in these verses where he tells his followers to go out and invite other people to follow him of all nations. And then he, he unveils the, the high-level steps to disciple-making. They're laid out by Jesus in three participles. One command in three participles. And the thrust of this verse, the thrust of, of what Jesus is getting at here is this. Make disciples by going by baptizing, and by teaching. That's the thrust. Make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. So first, going, going. Now, to be sure, this definitely means that some Christians should become missionaries and go to far-off lands to invite people there into Jesus' new world. If Christians throughout history didn't believe that, if they didn't take Jesus' make disciples by going, if they didn't take that to mean I've been called to be sent to other people groups, then you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. This is how the message of Jesus has been spread, by some having a call on their lives to become missionaries and spread God's good gospel across the ends of the earth. That is a high and worthy calling. But for, for most of us, that is not our calling. And, and that's okay too. But, but here's the other side of that. It doesn't mean you haven't been sent all of us have been sent. All of us have been commissioned. And, and for many of us that haven't been called to become missionaries and go to other countries or other places, what that means is that we have been sent right into the middle of our normal, everyday lives. And that's just it. In many ways, to live in Jesus' world, to be a Christian, is to look as normal as everybody else, but also, at the same time, radically different. There's a paradox of what it means to live in the new world when so many others are still living in the old world. As you go into your family, on the one hand, your family seems the same, yet, yet you embrace different goals, different priorities, different things are important to your family. As you go to work, maybe it feels ordinary, the same, yet Jesus is now your new boss. What does that mean? As you go about your neighborhood or your friendships, as you go about anything, make disciples. As you are going, invite people to join you in the world of greater awe with the better king. And when people respond yes to that invitation, as you live out your lives, as you are going, then we dunk them. That's the second participle, baptism, baptizing, which... To be honest, I mean, it's a little bit weird, right? I mean, you watched the video. It's beautiful and it's exciting and wonderful, but if you've never seen baptism before, then it's a little bit more weird than it is awesome. We believe that baptism is a symbolic picture of the person's new world reality. Nothing magical happens in baptism, yet it is an important reenactment of what has already happened in a person's soul as they pass through the wardrobe into the new world that Jesus makes available. 
But you go down into the water, buried with Christ. The old you is dead. But then you come up because Jesus didn't stay dead. And the new you is His. And your life is His. And the world that you enter is brand new. I mean, think about it. Every other group or club that you join has entrance requirements. You have to be good enough at pitching or hitting to make the baseball team. You have to be smart enough at math to be a mathlete. You have to pay a fee to join the country club, a membership fee. But in this club, in this world, the entrance requirement is a little bit different. Because all you have to do to enter Jesus' new world is admit that you're not good enough, admit that you are a dead person who needs a way to come to life, and place your life in someone else's hands. Because think about it, you can't baptize yourself, can you? It's a picture. It's a wonderful, beautiful picture of the journey that Jesus takes us on from death to life, from the battlefield to the living room, from the old world to his new world. And finally, teaching. Going, baptizing, teaching. Now, we have to be careful here because often we hear teaching and we picture a classroom filling our heads with more and more information. And right information is important, but that's not all that Jesus has in mind here. It's not just teaching, he says. It's teaching them, these new world disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Our job as Christians is not to make converts. People who pray a prayer and then continue on with lives unchanged, still living as as though they were part of the old world. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants citizens of this new world, people who actually obey him, disciples who believe that his way is better than their way, disciples who in awe and surrender live out their lives in this new world of the better king. So here's the final question for us this morning. Are you inviting new people to the new world? Remember, Jesus invites you to a brand new world, but he also invites you to invite others. So are you doing that? Jesus makes it clear that at the core of what it means to follow him is a burning desire to see the whole world made new again. To see the whole world walk through the wardrobe and experience new life with Jesus. But it's sad because the older a church gets, the less that we tend to do this. Churches grow inward. We end up wanting to go to a church that we like, that meets our needs, that has what I want. And churches over time begin to exist only for the sake of the members who are already there. But friends, don't you want more than that? Don't you want to be a part of a church who constantly invites everyone, no matter who they are, to join us on this journey in the new world? Christ's community wants to fight the pull inward. That's why our mission statement from the very beginning has been that we desire to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. I mean, do you hear how similar that sounds to Jesus' commissioning in Matthew 28? That's intentional. And we've been around as a church for 30 years, and we wanted to double down on our commitment to multiplication, on our commitment to giving ourselves away. That's why we dubbed the third decade of our existence the decade of deployment. 
of deployment. And we live into that value of deployment in all sorts of ways. One great example of this is our pastoral residency program. We bring graduating Master of Divinity students onto our staff team. We train them up for two years, and then we send them back out. We deploy them. We give them away. And we here at Brookside have a chance to practice that type of deployment this summer as we ready ourselves to send out Anthony and Melissa Emerson. It's going to be really hard. Anthony and Melissa are the best. I'm not ready for them to go. I can't sing like she can. But that's the point. Deployment isn't easy, but in Jesus' world, it's necessary because it's a world of open invitations. Anyway, this is why we're breaking ground at our Olathe campus on a capital expansion starting today, this afternoon. Maybe you've gotten an email or two about that. The city of Olathe is exploding. It's the fastest growing city in the greater Kansas City metro, and our campus, located at 119th at Woodland, is at the heart of that growth. You can't look any direction out in Olathe and not see new subdivisions being built, not new homes, new subdivisions. And our Shawnee Mission campus, they've been meeting for just over two years without a building. Take a look around you right now at the glorious building that we've been given Shawnee Mission Campus has volunteers who arrive every Sunday at 6.30 a.m. to take all their equipment out of trailers and set up in a middle school. Let that sink in for a moment. And there's some awesome stories coming out of the Shawnee Mission Campus, but I deeply believe that the moment that they buy land and establish permanence, more people are going to join them. And we think that those people, in addition to, to the people that are going to move into those subdivisions in Olathe, we think that they need to hear about this new world. They need to receive their invitation. So we're expanding our facilities and buying land, not for us, but for the people who are not here yet. And that's why we've named the Capital Fund Initiative Reach KC. I mean, this isn't about our wants and needs. This is about deployment. This is about the world of open invitations. It's about Matthew 28 and making disciples. And you can be part of this deployment work through your financial generosity. We, we haven't paid for it all yet. And yes, I, I know the question. I, I've thought about it myself. Why is it part of my job here in Brookside to give to benefit Olathe and Shawnee Mission? And, and the answer to that question, and it's a good one, the answer comes back to who we are as a church. We deeply believe that we are one church in five locations, which means that we share our joys together. That's why the baptism service is everyone together, because that's joyful and we celebrate as one church. And it also means that we share our struggles. That means that our parking struggles are just as much the Olathe campuses and the Shawnee Missions campuses' problems and struggles as their space constraints and lack of a building are ours. We're in this together. And so consider joining us if you haven't already. I know that many of you have. But some of you, this is the first you're hearing about Reach KC. You've, you've come and joined us here at Brookside in the last six months since we've given an update about this. You can discover more or decide you want to jump in by going to ChristCommunityKC.org backslash ReachKC, and you can also find out the ways to contribute on that website. But join us because we're in this together. 
But whether out in Olathe or Shawnee Mission or here in Brookside, we can't just expect the people of the old world to show up. We actually do have to invite them. And not just invite them to in church, to church, as important as that is, and please do that. That's an easy first step. But we also need to live in such a way where others can peer into our lives. Do people see Jesus when they look at you? Do they get a glimpse of the new world? This happens as we live out our faith publicly. Don't hide who you are as a follower of Jesus. And, and tell them about it. Because friends, as we glance back into the old world, do you see the struggles, heartache and grief, emptiness and disappointment, and the inevitability and overwhelming fact of death? That's what we see as we, as we glance back through the wardrobe into the old world. There's that moment in Narnia, right? She touches the snow-covered trees, she turns around, and Lucy has discovered a brand new world, and what does she do? Of course, she glances back at the old world. She glances back at the, the, the moth-covered coats and the dusty old room, and she enters into the new world. That's our story. That's our journey. And as we glance back, we don't see coats in a dusty room. We see people who need to know that there is a better way, that there is a new world. There is a way for them to live forever with their creator. And, and we often make this way more complicated than it needs to be. The first step in inviting someone to the new world is simply being able to say, Jesus has made all the difference in my life to be able to tell your story. How has Jesus drawn you in? Why do you believe that he's alive? It doesn't have to be weird. Okay, it might be a little weird, but that's okay because you're safe with Christ. This is his mission. And yes, it's scary, but here's the beauty of it all. Jesus ends these instructions and Matthew ends his gospel with these words in verse 20. I hope you didn't miss it. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. I am with you, Jesus says. And when we get to the book of Acts, shortly after this moment, we see the Spirit of God descend from heaven and begin an incredible work within Jesus' people in his new world. This small group of dedicated followers begins to live out their commission. They begin to invite people to the new world, making disciples from one end of the earth to the other. And 2,000 years later and 6,000 miles away, here we are in Kansas City. And we get to continue that work. But not alone, for I am with you, Jesus says. And this is where Matthew began his gospel, all the way back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, where he, is, he says that you shall call him Emmanuel. You shall call Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. I am with you, Jesus says. It's his new world. And even when we fail, he died for us. Even when we're afraid, he's gone before us. And he promises to be there, not just for right now, but he promises to be there until the very, very end. We don't share our faith simply because we have to, but because with joy and everlasting wonder, we've seen the new world and how much better it is. And we believe that one day Jesus will finally and completely return to finish remaking this old world new again, completely. But the invitation isn't out there somewhere in the future. The invitation is here. It's now. It's today. The new world is today, and it's where I want to live. And Jesus invites us to invite others. So let's get to work.
Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you that you have created a new world. I've tried the old world, and every time I mistakenly go back, I regret it. I want to live in your new world completely and totally in awe of you and in surrender to you, God, and I want to invite others to join me. I pray that we as a church would live that out and give ourselves away, not by our power, but by yours. We can't do it alone. Thank you for sending your spirit to live in us and and propel us to do this work. And we pray, Father, that we would be successful at it, not for us, but for them and for you. I pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.